Have you had to survive staggering loss in your life? Robin Cote is a survivor, not only of loss, but domestic violence, verbal and emotional abuse, rape, and bullying. She is a widow who also lost her young daughter. But you will never hear Robin describe herself as victim. You are in for a special treat because Robin has tips, she has encouraging words, and I can't wait to hear her story and to share it with you. Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Today I have Robin Cote and I am so excited to have her because as I said in the intro, she has gone through so much and one of those things sometimes is enough to make somebody just roll over and want to quit. But Robin has endured a lot. So thank you for being a never ever give up hope, Robin. Well, thank you for having me, Carol. This is a real treat for me to be here with you today. And it's a treat to be on the other end of the microphone, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, I love, I, I, you know, I love this kind of atmosphere. It's nice to be the person who actually gets to answer the questions and yes. gets to meet the other people on the other side. Now, as a teenager, you were raped. And my heart really went out to you. You painted a great picture in your story of a teenager who did not get the support after from her family after going through something so traumatic your father didn't believe you your mother didn't comfort you so if you could maybe share a little bit of why that happened why your dad didn't believe you and and then to carry it further on how this affected you and your life going forward well at this point in my life you know I had already been dating my son's father at this time I was pregnant didn't even know this and he and I had split up. I was still in my high school years and we had split up in October and I started going through some sort of what I felt like to be a depression. I didn't know I was pregnant, as I said, and I couldn't understand what was happening in my own mind and my own body. And then I just kind of kept to myself for a while until somewhere around Christmas time. And I had friends of mine that invited me to a Christmas party at uh, their apartment. And I went to this Christmas party thinking, okay, well, I need to get back into life. I'm only 17. Why am I going through this right now? And the only thing I remember in that apartment was them introducing me to their friend, Steve, and Steve offered me a cup of beer. And, you know, I was underage. 
And I remember taking one sip out of this beer and I don't remember anything. And then, and then I don't know how long it was, but a while later I woke up and I found something stuffed in my mouth. I was like partially tied down to one of those weight benches that guys lift weights. Oh, right, right. And I felt this huge weight on top of my body. And when I got my eyes open, I could just feel the mascara stinging my eyes from the tears. And I, I felt this huge presence on me. And this guy was a big guy. And I was coming out of this fog. I didn't know what it was. And I looked over and saw a, uh, a wood leg up against the wall because apparently he had one of his legs had been amputated. So he had this leg standing over against the wall near the door and the door was closed. And I don't know how I got him off of me. Hmm. You know, they talk about this amazing strength that human beings have when they're in this flight or fight mode. And I got him off of me and I got up off this bench and I, the fact that he only had one leg, I'm sure that probably was in my favor to get him off of me. And I remember just grabbing everything that was mine on the floor, running out of that door into the living room and seeing these two women there, which I've come to realize was his grandmother and his mother. And I screamed at them. I screamed at them. Don't you know what he just did? He just raped me. And I ran down the steps and I remember falling a couple of times. These steps had like rocks on them. And I remember skinning myself up and bleeding and just running down to the parking lot and screaming. And my friends coming out to me and putting a blanket around me. And I don't remember what was said. I just know that they took me home. And when I got home, I told my father what had happened. And he said to me, It still gets to me today, but he told told me, he said, were you drinking? And I said, I had a sip of a beer. He goes, well, then you deserved it. And yeah. And then my mother just sat on the couch and didn't say anything. And that was devastating for me because I didn't know how to deal with it. Of course. And the worst part, uh, this was in December, and in January, I made a decision that I was going to leave the state and get away from everybody and go join the military. So I was set to graduate soon. So I decided to get the enrollment going, and I had to take a test. And one of the tests I took revealed to me that I was pregnant it scared the living daylights out of me because the first thing that came to my mind was I was raped. Uh This is, this is the rapist baby. And, you know, I, you can't fault a woman for what her belief system is, but in my own head, I thought there's no way I could have a child born of rape because I would look at that child And that child would have to live with that idea that they were a product of rape. So I actually had made the decision to get an abortion, but that's where the gift was given to me to find out that I was actually four and a half months pregnant. 
and it was my ex-boyfriend's child and not the rapist child. I often say this because I believe it. That child has saved my life in more ways than I could have ever imagined because that child became my reason to live and to fight and to keep going no matter how hard things got. Are you referring to your son who is your motivator? So maybe before we continue with your story, share a little bit about that and how he motivates you other than, as you said, the pure choice to live, to keep going. My parents took their responsibilities of raising us kids. My dad did the financial stuff, but there was a lot of stuff missing. And I think when we grow up, without having certain elements in our life. We long to be a better parent to our children. And I eventually did marry my son's father, but we didn't last very long. That was a very abusive relationship. And he was out of our lives within two and a half years after my son was born. So here I was, nearly 20 years old, with a two and a half year old, not able to get any child support from him because he refused to pay it, not being able to get any help through the state. I was told that I wasn't a particular race and that they're not going to help me, that I need to go out and just do it myself. I knew that that kid had only one person to depend on, and that was me. Uh And I think, you know, that's why he became such the driving force for me. I mean, he is 35 years old now, but back in that day, I said to myself, look, I'm going to make sure this kid understands that he means the world to me. He wasn't given everything. He wasn't spoiled rotten. What he saw in me is something he appreciates even today is that I never gave up. (laughs) I, I would work four or five jobs and half the time, most people out there, especially the single moms, they understand this. You work two or three jobs just Uh to pay for the daycare. So That was always the thing that I instilled in my son while we were going through this together. It was almost like we we could have been siblings, even though we were 17 years apart. We still had that very close bond. I took him everywhere I went. I couldn't afford to take him to Disneyland, but I took him on road trips. We did camping. We did fishing stuff. We did things that... Here's the funny part. He calls me his mad, his mom and dad, because I act act more like the dad than I do the mom. We fixed cars together. We would, you know, work on part time on movie sets together. I would drag him everywhere. He would. I worked at a radio station where I was there seven to midnight, five days a week. So I bought a cot and I would put a cot in the back room and he would sleep on that. after he did his homework and was tired. And then I'd pick him up and carry him to the car. So I became a better parent and a better person all the way around because I did not want to let that kid down. I had been let down from my own childhood and I didn't really understand what was going on when I was much younger, but I took it as I'm never going to tell my son that his voice doesn't matter Because what I heard my father tell me was, shut up and take your lumps. Your voice doesn't matter. And that's what stuck with me for so long. And I found myself making those mistakes where I went 
to the abusive type men because mm-hmm. that's all that's mm-hmm. all I felt I deserved. I didn't understand it. And it was just it took many years for me to figure that out. And I stayed single most of the time while raising my son because I didn't want to have my son fall in love with any man that I brought into his life and then be disappointed and hurt and angry at me because it didn't work out. So for 12 and a half years, I stayed single. I barely dated. If I did, they never came around my son. He was my primary focus. And there were many guys that came and went that were angry at me because I wouldn't make a full-time commitment and invite them into my world to meet my son. It's like, you don't get it. I, I can't do that to my kid. You know, you and I might, we might not work out. I don't want to break my son's heart. I don't want to give him a reason to think that mom is all about herself and doesn't care about him. So in the back of my mind, that's what I live with every day was how can I be a better parent to this kid and be a better person for not only him, but for myself and for anyone else that comes around me. And him and I have the most amazing relationship, even all these years later. And, you know, the fact that I see what kind of parent he is today to his two kids is a true testament to knowing that even though I never, I didn't always think I made the right decisions, I know I did at the time because I see it in him. I see what an incredible father and human being he has become. And that's, that to me is, it's worth its weight in gold because we really don't know if we did our job as a parent until we see how our kids act and react as they get older. That should be a bumper sticker. It's so true and you hear it all the time. One of the things that I'm hearing as you're talking is that trauma can drive us and it can drive us negatively or positively and it's the old adage of look at life as not a stumbling block but a stepping stone. So bearing that in mind could you share with the audience how they can do that? Well first of all as you just heard me take a deep breath that's your number one thing you got to stop yourself in the moment and just breathe the biggest thing is it's 10% what happens in our lives and it's 90% how we react to it. Yes. And I know that's a very famous saying, but I live by that because I wasn't given that choice to overreact. I was only looking forward with what I had to do every single day to make it the best life possible for us. Was it easy? Oh God, no. The struggles every day were so difficult, but every day is a brand new day. You can't take what happened yesterday and let that control your life for the rest of your life because, yeah, I mean, it's okay to sit down and cry about it. God, crying is the best thing in the world. It releases so much. There's so many things I've had to cry about and people will look at me and go, God, you're so strong. How, how do you do that? Dude, there's times when I just lock myself away and take right. a good long right. cry because you have to. You just can't stay stuck because life is going to go on with or without you. Life is going to move forward with or without you. Are you going to stay in that dark place or are you going to start walking towards that light? It's No one else can do that for you. That is our own individual journey. 
And with all the stuff that has happened in my life, I look back and I, I still am in amazement with everything I've gone through that I'm still here. But it just goes to show what persistence and the human will is all about. If you really, really want it, you can have it. You just have to put it into your mind. It is mindset. It's every day, starting with something very simple, starting with something as simple as I accept myself unconditionally right now in this moment, because none of us are perfect. We're all flawed. We're all human. But that's what we learn from. We learn that it's okay to be who we are. You don't have to be perfect. I've never believed anybody is. I think the only time we're perfect is when we're dead and gone because then we start over somewhere else. But when you're here, you have to stop yourself in that moment, take a breath, and then just allow yourself that moment to gather your thoughts. Don't react to the situation. Give yourself a chance to catch up, take a break, take a breather, and you'll figure it out. You may not think so in that moment. But don't make a permanent decision in a temporary moment because in five minutes from now, it's going to be completely different. An hour from now, after you've had that good cry, it's going to be completely different. You have to give yourself that moment to breathe and to feel the experience. But then you've got to look at yourself and say, you know what? I've got this. I know I can do it. And it all starts with just how you talk about yourself and to yourself. If you're putting negativity out there, remember you have one mouth and two ears. Every time you speak, even though it's one voice, it's two ears picking it up. And our brains are extremely powerful tools that we carry with us every single day. So we're hearing this twice. You have to start by just saying, I'm a good person. I have a good heart. You have to just start believing in yourself. And I know that's difficult. I've, God, I've spent half my life in the dark trying to figure that out. But the key to it is, is just remembering that you are human. It's okay to feel things and don't react in that moment. Take a break. Let yourself just relax. Then let that thought come to you and you know exactly what it is you have to do. And even if you're stuck there for a second and you're having trouble figuring it out, take a little bit more time because all you need to do is just let everything settle. Let that dust settle. Let that emotion settle and don't react or act when you're in that emotional state because that's when you find yourself making those mistakes and you wish you hadn't done that. So it's, it's all about just taking that moment for yourself and breathing through it because that's the most important thing to do. I agree 100%. And you know, you you shared a lot of things that are very encouraging. But what I want my audience to understand is that this is not the end of your story. This is barely the beginning because of what else you've had to survive. So we are going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and not only hear and how you've handled it, but what you're doing now and what you offer to the listeners and your book. So in one moment, we'll be back. Carol Graham would like to show you the path from misery to miraculous triumph in her fast-paced memoir, Battered Hope. She relates her determination to succeed as someone who experienced one horrendous nightmare after another, gang raped and left for dead, loss of a child, 
husband falsely imprisoned, and cancer. Nothing could break her tenacity or faith. No matter what you face, heartache, loss, suffering, or injustice, Carol will illustrate how she became a victor the same way you can. The secret is to never, ever give up hope. Order your copy at Amazon or batteredhope.blogspot.com. Continue with your story, Robin. Share with us some of the other traumas that you had to go through, such as being widowed and the loss of your daughter. I can't even imagine. Share that story with our audience, please. Well, I'll talk about my daughter. And this is one of the hardest things because my daughter's still alive. She's not dead. But I had my children exactly one year apart on the same day. My son being the firstborn, my daughter being the second. I was married to their dad, my first husband. Not a very good man. And when I was pregnant with my daughter, Every day I lived with that threat. We had rifles up on the wall. And every day he used to tell me, don't tell anybody you're pregnant or I will kill our son, make you watch, and then I will kill you. Hmm. I lived with that threat. And mind you, at this time, I was 18 years old. I I, I was just a kid. No kidding. I was just a kid. I had no idea what I had gotten myself into being married to this guy who was in his twenties, who had a very bad childhood apparently. And no one knew I was pregnant and I'm five, nine. I'm not a small girl. I'm like an Amazon from what they tell me. So I hid my pregnancy very well. And I didn't show until I was eight months pregnant with either of my children. And I remember my ex-husband taking our daughter from the hospital and giving her up for adoption. I had no idea this was what was going on. And on the fifth day in the hospital, I had some side effects. They had to go back and do some stuff with, um, because I had a cesarean. So they had to go back and redo my stomach or something. And I had woken up on the fifth day and my daughter was gone. And I just freaked out. I didn't understand what was going on. And I asked the nurse, where's my daughter? And she said, well, they've come and got her. And I'm like thinking, well, my parents don't know I was pregnant. So no one else knows I'm pregnant. And and I said, who are you talking about, my parents? I thought maybe my husband had told them. And the nurse said, no, the people from the adoption agency. And I had no idea what was going on. I, it was like my soul was ripped And I disappeared for a long time, months. I don't even remember. There's like eight or nine months of my life that are still black. They're blank. And I've never been able to get that back. But it wasn't long after that that my marriage broke up because I flipped out on the phone one day talking to my husband's grandmother. And I said to her, I said, do you know what your, your grandson did? He took my daughter and gave her away. That was pretty much the beginning of the end because he stormed off. And the very next day at my mother's house, he walked out on me and left. There were so many violent things that happened within that 48-hour period of time because after that, he attacked me and 
and drew blood. And that was the first time he had done that. And that's, you know, the next day, that's when he left because I struck back. I hit him back. And then he walked out on me the following day. And two years later at my son's birthday party, him and his girlfriend came to the party. And that's when I found out why I lost my daughter, because he didn't want to have any girl children, because they couldn't carry on his family name. This man took that child away from me and gave her away. And I even tried to get her back because when I threw him out, I packed up all his stuff and put it out on the the sidewalk in front of our house. And I found the adoption documents. My name wasn't even on there. How could this man give away my daughter without my signature? That's what I never understood. And I even tried to fight to get her back after him and I were split up, but I was a single mom. I had no child support. I had no money. And they told me, look, unless you've got a ton of money, these people are going to fight. They're going to, it could take, you know, the custody back up in court was three years. So by the time we would have gone to court, the first possible date, she would have been four years old. So what kind of person would that have made me? Yeah, yeah to go in and rip that child out of someone's home. And I don't know if you remember a very famous case called baby Richard. It was the, it, it happened not even a couple years after this happened with me. And we saw what that battle did. The woman had a baby. She gave the baby up for adoption. She never told the boyfriend she broke up with that she had a baby by him. And then as soon as he finds out that there's a baby, he wants custody of his son. So then they go and go to court and they rip this child out of that house when he's like four or five years old. When I saw that on the news, I knew I made the right decision not to try to fight and rip her out of that only home. I mean, God only knows if I could have even done it financially. It would have taken forever, but I had to make a decision to let her go and what I did after that, because that was my heart and soul being ripped away from me, never even having that chance with, with that, with my child, I went and got my tubes cut and burned. So I would never have any more kids. I never wanted any more children because I, that just ripped my heart out. Did you ever, did you ever connect with your daughter later in life? (laughs) Yes, I did. I found her on her 18th birthday by accident on the internet totally by accident uh, because the adoption agency sent me a file that had photographs of her when she was a baby. I scratched the, there was white out on one of the pictures. So I scratched it and I found out what her name was, but I was off by one letter. So for years I searched and I was always off, but for some reason on this day, it came up on an internet search with the correct name, even though I was off with one letter and it was her photograph staring back at me. I was looking at myself. I was looking at myself like I was a senior in high school. And I just, I was so floored that I found her and we did start talking. There was a point where she was going to come here and meet us, but that didn't happen because she had a breakup with her boyfriend. But here's where things went wrong. When she was getting married, she asked me to help her build a family tree. So I did. Um, She reached out. 
Her dad, her biological father, has 19 children that we know of, my son being the firstborn. Hmm. Yeah, he's got a lot of kids. And um, she reached out to a couple of the siblings that we know of here in Arizona and reached out to my son. But she reached out to her biological father. And um, they apparently established some sort of relationship. And there were some lies being told. The truth was not told. He mixed me and the first wife or the second wife up with his details and told her a bunch of fabricated stuff. And I would have never known this if it weren't for my son. Really? Yeah. Um, my son does not have a relationship with his father, never has. At this point, it was on their birthdays because my kids had the same day. And I went on her Facebook wall and I wished her happy birthday. At this point, she had asked me not to get too personal because her adoptive mother was kind of sick and not doing too well. So she didn't want me to create any problems. I'm like, fine, I can handle that. We're, we're friends. I'm not going to impose upon that relationship with your mother. And when I posted on her wall, right below it was my ex-husband saying, happy birthday, baby girl. That was like a dagger through my heart. This, this was the man that, that didn't want her. But yet they had something going on. And I, it, just, it just penetrated my very being. So that was my ammunition to set the record straight starting. And when I talked to my son, I had seen my son had become friends with his dad. And I'm like, why is this going on? I said, you don't understand. This guy has been so intrusive in my life for the last 25 years. He's tried to send me things and haunt. He, I mean, this man played warfare with my mind for over 25 years. Even after we were long divorced, he was still sending me notes in the mail, threatening me and everything. And I told my son, I said, look, I love you, but I cannot be in your life as long as he is, because I can't have him have a window into my life. Right. That's, and my son goes, look, mom, I just did that because I wanted to see what he was telling my sister. And he sent me back this private message on Facebook. And that's how I found out what was being told. So that's how I developed my ammunition to tell the truth. And all those years later, I sat down and started blogging it out with that letter he sent my son, pointing out where the truth was and where the lies are. And that's how I started writing my first book. I did it as a blog to clear the record with my daughter. But then everyone encouraged me to turn it into a book. And when I tried to get in touch with her to send her a copy of the book, she called me every name in the book, told me she pitied me. And she said, how dare you write a book about me? My whole family's going to read this. My friends are going to read it. They're going to know it's me. How dare you? How dare you? How dare you? So that was the last time I spoke to her was October of 2015 when I was ready to release the book. And there's very little bit about her in the book. It's my journey. It's my truth. And it's right. basically to set the record straight. I put all the documentation in the back, including the adoption documents, including all the statements that he sent me in the mail to threaten me through the years to basically show that we as abused partners, and I use the word partners because a lot of men face abuse from their, their wives and their girlfriends as well. So it's not right. just, Absolutely. you know, one in seven women and one in four men. So 
you know, I, I put all that in the back of the book to document the truth. And it's my story of how I survived. It's my story that even though I've been in very dark places and I allowed others to take me there because in the end, it is our self-worth and our self-esteem that we are, you know, that, that belongs to us, but we give that away. We allow other people to control that within us. We give that away. And I gave that away at a very young age. And I know it has a lot to do with my upbringing. I don't blame my parents for it. I understand that they're a product of how they grew up. I take responsibility for what I allowed in my life. I didn't know any different at the time, but I understand it. I have not spoken to my daughter since. And I tell people that I know who have actually buried their children. It hurts me to say this because it feels wrong, but it feels how I feel. I've lost my child several times. And sometimes I wish that I could have buried my child and have been able to grieve the loss and be able to move past it. Because I know in my travels with grief, we never get over losing those that we've lost. We just get through it and we get past it in order to move on every day. But there's a part of me that, and it's not that I wish death on her because I don't, but there's a part of me that sometimes wishes that I could have been able to grieve the loss of my child properly than to be where I am and she's 34 years old, and I've never once laid an eye or a hand on her since she was three days old. It's a hard thing to live with, but it is a loss because she's not part of my life. You said so many things that I know are going to touch the audience in many ways. For one thing, and a lot of people in my audience do know that, believe it or not, your story and my story are very parallel. And as you were talking, I was choking back the tears. Now, if I have been through something like this and has survived, and you have been, it is hope and encouragement for those who also may be even going through something right now like this. We were the adoptive parents of a little baby, three days old, who had him for a year when his mother changed her mind because of the pressure from her parents to take him back. So that was one thing that I related to. And the grieving process and the loss is greater than, as you said, the loss through death. In fact, I just finished writing an article on that very subject because our son, who is married with several children, who we adopted years later. He is now 40 years old. He walked away from us for no reason at the age of 30 and took his family. No one knows why yet. And he lives in the same town. So there were so many things that, as you were sharing, I could relate to. And my heart definitely goes out to you. But there are many people, if look at this, two of us that have similar stories, 
Think of how many people's lives you are touching right now because of your story. And I appreciate how raw and open you are being. So let's continue. And we don't have a great deal of time left, but I do want to switch gears a little bit and share to my audience who you are, first of all, what you've accomplished, and how you are an advocate for victims. Robin is a living kidney donor, so you know she's a giver. She's a loving mom, which has been very obvious throughout this podcast. She's an award-winning writer and an honored member of the Arizona independent film and music community. You, in spite of everything that you went through, you have had great accomplishments. She works as a podcast producer for Star Worldwide Networks. She hosts her own podcast, Get Real with Robin. Oh, I know my guests are going to tune into that, but also an advocate for victims. So tell us how you have used not only your current position that you are in, but also your what you have gone through to be that advocate. I just go right back to my teenage years because I went to a place here where, you know, women would counsel women who had been raped. And I will never forget sitting across from that counselor and she took my hand and she said, I know how you feel. And here I am at 17 trying to deal with being raped, not having supportive parents, not even having friends to go to to tell about this. And this woman has the blatant disregard for me to say, I know how you feel. I took one look at her through tear-stained face and I said, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been raped? She said, no, I haven't. I said, well, first of all, you don't even have an inkling of what it feels like to go through that experience. And second of all, you're not in my head. You're not in my heart. How could you even have an idea of how I feel? And moving, right. moving forward in my life, I would never say that to anybody because I felt I literally, I literally wanted to reach out and just strangle this lady when she said that to me. Because it's like, no, you don't. You right. don't get it. So I decided from a very young age moving forward that if anybody ever needed somebody to talk to, I would always put myself in that position. And I would always say, I understand or I can relate. I would never tell them I know how they feel. I don't care if, if our experiences are similar I don't have the right to tell you that I know how you feel because number one, you haven't opened up to me. So I don't even know, begin to know how you feel. And two, even when you tell me how you feel, it's none of my business to tell you I know how you feel because that's just the wrong thing to say to anybody, no matter what they're going through. And I started counseling people because I've had so much death in my life, you know, from the ages of 22 yes. to 33, there were 41 people that died. So I, I became so numb to death that I was capable of speaking out and talking about things, everything from suicide to cancer, to, you know, being a widow, to dealing with organ transplantations. I, I go out there and I am the one who's going to be the guy who's going to carry the load on my back because I'm still here. All these things have happened to me and I'm still standing. So why shouldn't, why shouldn't I use my voice 
and use it loud and proud. My voice was silenced for way too long, starting with my childhood. My voice was silenced. And when I started finding my voice, I got tired of being the guy who got hurt, who got hurt, bullied, who got taken advantage of. I sent two men to prison for dental fraud and land fraud because 70 victims were afraid to stand up and fight for themselves. Oh, my word. They were just going to lay down and take it. And it was just coming from a woman who lost the love of her life, who had a teenage son, who was being taken for $10,000. And I had no idea what can of worms I was opening up. And that's what really started my victim advocacy was the fact that years ago when this happened, I decided, you know what? You work in radio and television and in the local scene. Why are you not using these things to spread the word? So I got on the horn and started calling my friends at the different TV stations saying, hey, I got a story for you. Do you want it? I'm your victim. Come talk to me. And that started the victim advocacy thing. It was amazing. I couldn't believe that just little old me with a $10,000 thing over my head because this fraud that all these victims came out of the woodwork because they saw me on television. That's what I encourage people to do. Every single one of us has been through some sort of trauma in our lives. We've all gone through something and it's not easy to talk about it, mm-hmm. but the more you talk about it, not only are you going to heal yourself, you're never going to get over any trauma you've been through, but you can get through it and get past it to live a better life. I'm living proof of that, and there are many others that are too. But the key to it is, is don't let that crap sit below the surface. You have to get it out. Purge it. Write it down. Talk about it. Some people, therapy works. It didn't work for me because the therapist always wanted to tell their problems to me, God forbid, you know. So I found writing. I found standing up for the little guy. I go out there and I fight. If if I see something that I don't like that's going on and I see somebody struggling with that, I will throw that life preserver out there and say, hey, what can I do? What can I do to encourage you to take back your life? Because you're just looking at a momentary thing. This isn't going to last forever. Every day is a good day to start fresh. Yeah, you're still going to carry some of the crap with you that happened yesterday. But every day, you can move some of that aside. And that's how I get involved with victim advocacy, is just encouraging people not to stay silent. The more you get together... The more you put your voice out there, you're going to bring more people with you. And you, just like the Me Too movement, what a beautiful thing that was because so many people were silent for so long. And there is so much strength in numbers. And I, it doesn't matter what you've been through or who you are. You're not alone. You may think whatever you're going through, no one else has gone through. But let me tell you something. As Carol said earlier, our stories intertwine. We've all been through something. It may not be 100% alike, but it is similar in a lot of ways. And the only way you're going to ever get past it to heal yourself and to have a better life is to purge that garbage, 
purge it out of your soul. It doesn't belong stuck inside of you. You know, I don't, I'm just a person. I'm, I'm nobody special. I'm just a person who's gone through so many things in life and I choose not to stay silent because silence is what kills us. Silence is what hurts us as a human race. There's a lot of people that speak out negatively, but there's also a lot of people that speak out positively. Find the ones, gravitate towards those people, find the help that you need. Don't stay stuck where you are because that's not what you're meant to be here for. Your life is not meant to be miserable. And take it from somebody who's had a lot of blows, who's often thought about why am I here? Why do I have to keep going through all this stuff? You know, I finally got to a point in life when I'm looking back, I'm 53 now, and I'm looking back at this going, the first half of my life was a lot of learning lessons, was a lot of tough stuff, was a lot of death, a lot of horrible things, but now I'm on the other side of it. So I've got at least another 40 or 50 years in me where I get to start living life to the best ability that I can and not have to worry about all that stuff that that's happened before because I'm not that same person anymore. It doesn't it doesn't affect you. It still brings about the emotions because that's part of who you are. But just because you hear the tears in my voice that doesn't mean that I've given up. It doesn't mean that I'm not going to keep going. It just means that I haven't lost my ability to feel. I haven't lost my ability to care. I haven't lost my ability to live life to its fullest because that's what life is all about. It's about learning, loving, living, teaching one another. It's about being a human being and being there for other people. So we all have that advocacy in us, whether we're just listening to our best friend tell a really rough story and being that shoulder they need, or whether we're putting people in jail for doing something wrong to a bunch of people, we all have that advocacy in us. And it doesn't take much to be that. It's just being real, being human, and being there for somebody. I'm at a loss for words, and that's not normal for me. But there's because there's so many things that I would like to address, and of course time is the issue, and I think <laughs> that we need to have you come back again. But I want to say this, that if I related to your story, I know that there is people in this audience who needed to hear Robin's story today. They may be either on the other side who have been able to overcome the traumas that they went through or they may be going through them now and either way it is wonderful to know that we have a sister who too has gone through so much and yet has the attitude of first of all wanting to help others not allowing those things that happened in her life to stop her or to be a stumbling block and and also to be an advocate for those who have been hurt. So you have covered so much territory, Robin. I applaud you. I applaud you for being real. Just as your podcast says, get real with Robin, I have a feeling that's that's very much what you do so I encourage people to get your books 
Everything will be on the show notes that they'll be able to connect with you. They will contact you if they even want to chat. I'm sure that they can go to your website or, or Facebook or wherever and find a way to to share with you, but also to listen to your podcast, to get your books, to connect with you in whatever way that they are comfortable because you have given us so much. And I thank you. I thank you for being open and for sharing today on Never Ever Give Up Hope, which is certainly something you never did. Do you have any words in closing, Robin? The biggest thing I can leave anybody with is just remember this. Your self-worth comes from you. Your happiness comes from you. No one else can give those things to you. Don't allow someone else to wreak havoc on your life to make you not feel like you're worthy because no matter what you deserve to live a beautiful life it's up to you no one can give that to you but you remember to stop and breathe and give yourself a pat on the back every now and then that you're doing a good job and yeah I know it's not always easy but you have to stop and tell yourself that you deserve so much more and that you are definitely worth it. And don't ever forget that. A perfect conclusion, a perfect summary. And I thank you again. And we look forward to connecting with you. And please, audience, pick up her book, listen to her story, share with her, and listen to her podcast, Get Real with Robin. Thank you again for being on Never Ever Give Up Hope. Thank you, Carol. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. So please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.